0: This episode is brought to you by Crunch Firm, a full-stack finance, accounting, and CFO advisory partner focused exclusively on VC-backed startups. Crunch Firm steps in as a hands-on CFO for their clients and serves as a one-stop shop, taking on bookkeeping, back office, tax, cap table management, financial modeling, and fundraising support. If you are a founder or know a founder of a fast-growing startup looking for a best-in-class partner for these crucial services, get in touch with the team at Crunchfirm by emailing hello at crunchfirm.com. Listeners also get the first month free. Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. If you're a founder of a B2C business and currently fundraising, I run a private newsletter where I share companies to past and future guests of the show that I think are interesting. If you'd like to apply to be on the newsletter, head over to startup. Our guests today are Betsy Four and Sophia Laurel, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Tiny Organics. Tiny Organics delivers organic, fresh, nutrient-rich baby and toddler meals created by their infant nutritionist. Their goal is to help every parent feed their baby and toddler the healthiest food. Previously, Betsy worked and created product lines for Mattel, Hasbro, and Mind Candy. She was also the founder and CEO of Wondermento. Sophia is a marketing PR veteran, most recently at Ascend Foundation, where she built the brand into a powerhouse. I'll be honest, baby food is not a category I paid much attention to, so I was excited to jump in and hear how they're disrupting the industry. Without further ado, here are Betsy and Sophia. And Sophia, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you both?
1: <laughs> thank you. We're good. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having us. It's really great to be here.
0: <laughs> Let's start first before Tiny Organics. I know, Betsy, you previously founded Wondermento and have a deep consumer products background. Sophia, you come from a deep PR and marketing background. Tell me about what attracted each of you to each other, entrepreneurship and consumer products.
1: <laughs> That's kind of a long answer. I'll kick off as a Betsy. What attracted Sophia and I together is that we're yin and yang. We had been friends for probably five years prior to founding Tiny and came about this journey yeah, together and wouldn't be here today without, you know, sort of camaraderie that we have, so that's a kind of a whole nother story. <laughs> but I can tell you from my background, industrial designer by trade. I started out as a toy inventor for a number of years. Wound up building the largest toy brand in UK with Mike Acton Smith of Calm, the meditation app. Prior, we reached over 100 million registered users online as well. And it was during that time that I noticed my dog Whiskey. Had was overweight, essentially. And there was no Fitbit for dogs in the market at the time. And so on a hackathon one weekend, I invented the first Fitbit for dogs. And that was my last company I founded, Wondermento. It was really to extend the lives of dogs everywhere through getting them down to their goal weight. And We saw phenomenal success. So we got on, initially launched at Harrods, pulled up for Paris Fashion Week, and then came over to every Best Buy, Petco, Urban Outfitters across the US and even made Oprah's favorite things list. So it was like a really magical journey for six, seven years on with that company and a ton of learnings. And one of them is that I didn't want to be a sole founder again. And when uh, Sophia and I had known each other for years and I then realized she, you know, I always knew she wanted to found um, a baby and Parenting company company. And it was approaching that phase in my life where I was thinking about starting a family and my first company was for my first baby. So it made sense that we were trying to figure out how could we make the biggest impact for childhood development together. And I'll let her talk about her incredible background, but I lead product at Tiny and Sophia leads marketing. Thanks so much, Betsy. I'm
2: originally from Finland. born and raised in Helsinki. And my wife for building Tiny with Betsy is this incredible invention back home called the Finnish Baby Box. Every new parent gets it from the government. since 1938 and it drastically lowered infant mortality back home and kind of ties into my career background, which is all kind of impact-driven environments. And Betsy and I came together and I told her about the finished baby box and we kind of jammed and, and she said she wanted to start a family. And at the same time, we started really kind of researching the history of baby food and kind of realizing that the category itself is invented kind of in the 1920s and there's no reason for the really sweet options that you see in the market today. And also, I always mentioned that growing up up in Europe. I ate kind of real whole foods when I was growing up. And we didn't really understand why, you know, even at the time we were saying like, there's better options in the dog food category than in the baby food category. But yeah, so that's kind of when we started. And I wanted to also mention that before founding Tiny, I worked at a research foundation and we did research as to why women and minorities haven't risen to the corporate boards. So again, kind of realized that I thrive in, in impact driven environments. And I always joke that it's a great training ground for starting your own business. It's working at a nonprofit because you have to do a lot with very little, but yeah, I'm coming up to my 10 years in New York uh, via London. Definitely the happiest days of my life. I'm thrilled to be building this company.
0: That's awesome. It seems like you're taking some of the learnings that the Finnish government provided there, which seems like they're very far ahead of the curve. Talk to me about when you, when you actually thought, all right, you know what, we've talked about this for so long that let's actually build this and create Tiny Organics and what that process was like.
1: Yeah, I can uh, jump in here. Either one of us could answer all of these questions, by the way. <laughs> so you might see us living back and forth throughout. But when Sophia and I wanted to found Tiny, we realized Let's find a partner here that can really help co-build it with us. And so we were looking at different AIR roles, having founded my last company, bootstrapping it, right? Like eight years prior, it was like, okay, I knew the hardships and struggles of going out for VC funding thereafter. And... It was like, let's just get a partner on board that's totally aligned with our vision. And we did find that with Human Ventures out of New York. So Heather Hartnett's on our board and has been one of our biggest believers since day one. We joined, you know, after interviewing with lots of different kind of big funds in the New York area, we decided on Human because it did seem most aligned with our ethos around the impact-driven approach and investing in a different type of founder. So kind of not your typical (laughs) from a VC perspective. And every partnership we've made throughout this journey has really been to elevate that goal of this impact-driven approach, right? Where we're really making a difference by being that change. And so Human Ventures was totally aligned and we did our pre-seed founder round there with them. We then went on to to raise the seed round, which they participated in as well. And we can get into more detail about that later. But when we started off, it was more of a Google Sprint type model that we went through with human around finding that the biggest impact actually is through food, right? And we are what we eat and it affects everything about our being and how we grow up.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Just one thing I wanted to mention, Betsy touched on this already, but with Human Ventures, they really want to kind of solve big human challenges in different categories. And we felt like the time there, we always say it was kind of all ships rise mentality with the founders because none of us were directly competitive, but could really kind of share learnings and share experiences. And yeah, those days were great uh, at the at the office. And I think it's a really great model because if you look at the landscape, there aren't that many pre-seed funds, actually. I think a lot of people say they are, but yeah, so it's, it really
1: was great to co-build with them.
0: Were you looking for a lead or was it more just like a group of collective, maybe it was co letter or just more evenly dispersed?
1: So our pre-seed round was actually a founder round. We were just looking for a true partner that would come in alongside us, which we found in Human Ventures. And so that was an unpriced round, the pre-seed. Our only priced round has been the seed.
0: I know that you're both co-CEOs of a company. I'm always really intrigued by the co-CEO. And talk to me a little bit about your decision-making process.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There was really no other way. I think for her and I both, we have our lanes. You know, Betsy running product, I'm running marketing. We haven't discussed this yet, but just around the decision-making process being very collaborative in many ways. So we are aware of, of course, of all the different things within the company. I think for us, it just made complete sense. And we, we knew at the time that it was kind of a newer model. There's some other companies that are famously have co-CEOs and big successes as well. But I think for us, it made sense that we share the responsibility when it comes to fundraising. And then also at the same time, do own our own departments as well. So, and it's worked really well for us.
0: No, that's great. Was there any pushback when you were fundraising that it was like a co-CEO partnership at the head or not so much?
1: Not at all, actually. And the only time it has come up is just the investor saying it was never even a question because you operate so well together. It
0: just made sense. You mentioned you like staying in your own lane, but how are you thinking about it? Like maybe on-off switch when it comes to like being collaborative on decision-making versus, you know, also making sure you're not really restricting each other to a box.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, for us, you know, when we started Tiny, different things, even in marketing, like the brand and the outward marketing, and obviously what the product is. And I think for us, it was almost, we always say that for her and I, when we started Tiny, we are building this for parents and to make parents' lives easier. And I think for us in the beginning, I would say we did everything together. So for example, like Betty and I always tell the story that when we founded Tiny, we were in Park Slope Parents. Uh, Our founding parents in Park Slope was a 100 degree day and we, her and I both are lugging these coolers to, you know, sample the product for the first time and we had a huge turnout. Betsy was eight months pregnant and it's a great story. She'll talk about Sebi, her son as well, who's been eating Tiny since he was six months old. But for us, I think I would say in the beginning, we did everything together and then it developed as the company grew and as it's growing into a little bit more, like I wouldn't even call it silo. It's just I think her and I both inherently know whose responsibility what thing is and I think the one thing that we share though is fundraising and Betsy obviously had founded a business prior so she had great experience and great learnings from her prior business with fundraising but I think for us there really hasn't been any issues I think maybe the issues will arise if it's literally the same person and we actually like Betsy was saying we're kind of the yin and yang and we're actually very different people and one other thing I should mention too like we were friends but we weren't best friends which I think is important now we are of course but like I think it's an important one where you know you're or co-founders first. And, and I think, you know, the success today with Tiny, I think is a great testament to what we've built and how well it's working as well.
0: I think that's a great point, really being intentional about who you start a business with and the reasons why.
2: Right. And we always say it's like a marriage. So, uh, <laughs> you know, choose your co-founder. <laughs>
0: Exactly. When it came to sourcing, how'd you go about sourcing the food and the supply chain? It doesn't seem like you both come from a food and bed background.
1: You're exactly right, Mike. And the very first thing we did was realize we've got to get the experts around the table here who know food inside and out. And especially with our programmatic approach to childhood development, so from the science and efficacy perspective as well. So before we ever delivered a cup of food, we actually partnered with Tufts School of Nutrition and Policy and brought on the dean of the school, Dariush Mosafarian, as a thought leader and scientific advisor to Tiny to really understand what ingredients are best for baby to introduce when. But I will say that we wouldn't be here today without our chief operating officer, Carolyn, so she built Beyond me early days with the COO there. Yeah, absolute home run in terms of someone who had the background, the passion, the audacity. You know, she's scrappy, she's fun, but she gets the job done. And without a COO, I don't know how any company actually can, can survive, but especially a food supply chain logistics one that we are as part of our core business. And so she also had an incredible history prior to that. Fiji Water and another organic baby food company as well. But we just struck gold with her. So she's been working with us for almost over two years now, building Tiny, even though we only just brought it to market in January. So we've been live for seven months.
0: One of the trends that we talk a lot about this show is curation. And it seems like there's so much information out there, so much choice out there. Curation has become very difficult. Tiny organics really seem to address that, especially for new parents, right? That with these personalized menus and creating a plan for the child, does that make your supply chain more complicated?
1: Not at all, actually. We have a frozen supply chain. Our product is so super simple because we only just use the cleanest, most organic ingredients that nothing's processed. So it's literally... It is what it is. You know, you can you can totally trust like what you're getting is like the real whole vegetable or fruit that has been ethically you know sourced and like the way that we're going about our partnerships in terms of the farms and obviously 100% organic, no added salt, no added sugar, and always vegan. So for us, it's just as simple as it gets. It's, it's, it just really works. And what's amazing is that we're not repackaging IQF vegetables in more plastic. We've actually figured out a way that we can ha- almost 100% plastic from our entire package. Process, which is another thing I'd love to just highlight here, was a key finding from our 100 founding families that they didn't want to put more plastic in the world. And you know, for us, that that meant that we could actually create cups of coconut curry, and it's real recipes. It's not it's Valencian paella. You know, it's not just a repackaged sweet potato, if you will. It's literally like these 100 flavors are made into these recipes from cultures from around the world. So you could expose children to that from the earliest days. And you know, again, very simple, straightforward forward uh, streamlined process. And we have an incredible co-manufacturer that we're we're thrilled with. And our executive chef is the other exec member of our team. So it's myself, Sophia, Carolyn, and our executive chef, Maria, from day one, who is the creative genius behind the recipes and working with our neonatal nutritionist to develop them.
0: How are you thinking about in terms of growth expansion, like in the future for Tiny? Are you staying in the same age range and develop a lot more products around? Is it zero to three? Is that right?
1: Currently, we suggest eight months to three years. My son's been eating them because he did baby lead weaning from six months and he still eats them every day. He's now two years old and will eat any vegetable you put in front of him. I do give this credit to Tiny. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty amazing, like non-picky because of it. But... I can't say too much about the product launch that's imminent and that we're uh, working on right now. But it is increasing the age range for us as well in the product range.
0: So I know we touched on fundraising before, but wanted to, to dig in that part as well. The main reason why you chose originally to fundraise was really to find a partner and w- which became human. Is that right?
1: Correct. So yeah, we knew we needed to surround the business with the right partners from day one. And we saw a white space in the market with what we're building. So we needed to move quickly. And that also uh, requires capital.
0: How are you thinking about the competitive landscape and price point from the very beginning and making sure that this was an affordable product or how you even think about affordability?
2: Right. Absolutely. So that's part of our ethos. Like a core part is the fact that we're We want to be accessible. There's different ways as to how we're doing it. But that's, and I always say like, we don't necessarily kind of look like the typical founder. You know, she's from the Midwest, a small town of 300 people. I'm an immigrant. Like we really, we are here because we were given the opportunities and obviously our grit and ambition. That's just also why we're here. But this idea of like giving people opportunities and this idea that, you know, if you look at food, especially, there's big inequality in food. And, you know, for us, because we are brand new, the price point currently is higher than we'd like, but the idea is that we would come down and really become this American household name. Betsy can chat a little bit more about WIC, but wanted to mention about the competitive set, you know, touched on this earlier around the baby food category being invented and, you know, us really wanting to bring back kind of this idea of like real whole foods. Baby food doesn't need to be different. It essentially, you know, a lot of people, like even when I talked to parents uh, back home, they were like, okay, it wasn't called baby-led weaning at the time. Baby-led weaning is essentially this concept where you feed finger foods to your child, real whole foods instead of the purees. And for us, we never want a mom shame. We never want a mom guilt. We don't want a parent guilt. So we always say that. Tiny is actually compatible with baby lead weaning method. And baby lead weaning also kind of, um, it, it, it creates independent thinkers and eaters. So there's kind of corollary to Montessori movement, but it's all around this idea of introducing different textures and flavors early days. And the competitive set, it's interesting. There's kind of the, the old guard, kind of the Gerbers of the world. And then there's a new guard. We're part of the new guard. And we always say, like we know all the other founders as well. We're good friends. And we believe competition really kind of validates the market. But I will say a lot of the competitors uh, just offer purees. So from a business perspective, the LTV of a customer is is much shorter um, with purees because babies only eat purees from month six to month eight. So for us, we really, as Betsy mentioned, saw a white space in the toddler category. And that's why we offer more textured foods as well.
0: You know, you have this uh, duopoly with Facebook and Google when it comes to marketing and and, and growth. How are you thinking about uh, growth from the very beginning, um, since right now it's just so competitive to grow online?
2: With the core of with Tiny is really organic acquisition. And we know that. And, and, you know, who we're building for is really this founding family, the founding parents that I had mentioned prior. And, it's been awesome to see how we've been able to pivot it. So we started these kind of tiny supper clubs for our founding families as well, where it was this beautiful night of sharing and really this idea of like moms sharing their experiences in in a, in a safe space. Um, and obviously they were physical originally, and now they have been moved to virtual. And we just had our first one in a couple of weeks ago, which was amazing, but... Just to give you an idea on the acquisition side, we gave all the moms kind of personalized codes at that dinner and we wanted to make it really organic so everybody would have tasted the product. So this is not something that we're like pushing people to promote, but also all the moms' children weren't there. And I think this was a request from the moms too, that they just wanted a night out on the town with their glass of red wine. But the dessert was actually our bananas foster with ice cream, which is a fan favorite. So we, we saw a tremendous uptick, even from that one dinner. We call it the tiny playbook, the supper clubs being kind of the marquee event. And then we're doing other organic acquisition. We have other organic acquisition strategies. And we'll add, though, that we've seen uh, on the paid side, really just tremendous metrics these last kind of five, six months, even before COVID. We kind of credit that to to what the product really is and and how we're able to help families uh, during this time as well, which we feel really fortunate about.
0: No, absolutely. I really like that. Well, also, no pun intended, focusing on organic, and your name is Tiny Organic, so that makes <laughs> a lot of sense there. But I think that's really amazing about how you have these dinners. And then I can understand parents also talking about it at the dinner table and then spreading that to their friends, and th- that's awesome. That's really cool. We already touched on this with how your strategy when you approach fundraising. I'd imagine that you already had a bit of a network. Is that right? Considering, Betsy, this is not your first rodeo in terms of building a company. But what were some of the challenges?
1: Yeah, I think we closed our seed round. Again, the only price round we've raised to date, but that was prior to launching. So literally that was the team in the dream. And I think for us, it was just brilliant, but not necessarily the case for all founders. I think when you are a second or third time founder you know, and have those like kind of trusted networks and relationships. It's just kind of a little bit of a different scenario there. We just felt incredibly fortunate to bring on the partners that we had wanted. And Elizabeth Street Ventures, our lead investor, they believed in us since almost day one. And it was truly belief in us as founders. And so we're just super grateful for all the people who have come alongside us and are on our board today.
0: What is one thing that you would change when it came to fundraising landscape?
1: Yeah, definitely. When I was raising as a sole founder for my first company about eight years ago, that compared to raising even with two female right co- co-founders today, I mean the landscape has changed drastically. I think I hinted at it earlier in the episode, but I had to self fund the business for the first couple of years. You know, my last company, and it was just absolutely grueling trying to fund raise and being the only woman in the room almost always. So definitely had a look at it from five years on ago and and how it's really changed today. And I think a big change that we're seeing and something that's super near and dear to our hearts is also what I implemented with my last company, where half our investors and half our board members were committed to them being women. And so that is... It was definitely difficult to achieve a decade ago, but it's still difficult today. And we're just super proud of the women that have come on Board with us as investors through this journey. Obviously, Heather from day one. We also have Samara from Chingona Ventures, who's an absolute legend, um, and many others. But I think, you know, we just have to be that change that we want to see. So we're not kind of wallowing in the fact that, yeah, it's a little bit harder for us. It's like, let's be the change, let's get this done. So we have a very proactive, kind of positive approach to how we go about it.
2: Absolutely. And I wanted to add, you know, people always talk about kind of the importance of diversity of thought experiences and viewpoints and we feel like investors are kind of increasingly seeing that as kind of a core focus area and you know given the times i think there's research done that more diverse even just on the board level in companies like more diverse boards you know produce better business results and also just this idea of like just having different viewpoints at the table is super important i like betty said we haven't really i think it's almost been a positive that we are it's definitely been a positive that we
1: are two female founders and a fully uh, female exec team and entire team as well. We're definitely trying to hire for men now. (laughs) You got to be a man or a (laughs) mom.
0: It's really great seeing, you know, in your company, so many women in leadership positions. So what's one book that inspired each of you personally and one book that inspired each of you professionally?
2: I always say that I I watch too much Netflix and don't read enough books, but I am reading uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things right now with Ben Horowitz, so definitely from a professional perspective. And then I'm starting Sapiens, which I'm really excited about because I've heard just tremendous things. I think COVID has made, I think, a lot of us reflective of our lives, but kind of like how we, where human beings came from. And I think I'm really excited to read that book as well. I've heard great things.
1: Yeah, those are two classics for sure. One that came out, I guess, relatively recently that I thought this has to be an instant classic. I mean, it's just definitely one probably of my all time. And even this is professional and personal, actually, is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, for sure. <laughs> just that, that story is like, if you want to become an entrepreneur, you know, read this book because it's just so inspiring.
0: <laughs> I laugh because you say Shoe Dog, because Shoe Dog, I have a book list of all what previous guests did. And Shoe Dog is by far the number one. What's one piece of advice that you have for founders that are starting a CPG company?
2: I always go back to this thought of like, you can do it. I think if you put all your energy into something, like you can actually make it happen. You know, I mentioned this prior, but we don't come from the typical kind of founder backgrounds necessarily. And I think about grit and the ambition and just kind of, we always say like done is better than perfect. So I think this idea of starting out, Obviously, we had a lot of help in the beginning, as well as we were saying we were co-building and we had a lot of great people. We always say we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So we did have an incredible, we do have an incredible advisor and board. But I think this idea of like just, you know, keep going. I think specifically for CPG, I think this is actually an interesting time for CPG. With food as well, not only are we feel like we're reinventing baby food, but I think this idea of food, I mean, for the last 100 years in food, there's going to be a real change and there already is a change. And we almost feel like kind of the beyond meat and the impossible is kind of the first wave. You know, there's research done that eating plant-based is a healthier way, both for yourself and for the world. So I think this is actually an exciting time for food products specifically in, in CPG.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that it's already happening, but for sure in the next five years, The only fundable businesses will be the impact and mission-driven ones. And you have to have a social component to what you're doing. So my kind of biggest piece of advice here is that authenticity is key in everything. I mean, Sophie and I wouldn't be here today if this wasn't literally what we, you know, eat, breathe, sleep. And so I think at the core of entrepreneurship is like this deep-rooted passion to make an impact, to have, you know, to be the change, to make that difference. And I guess the, that fire in you, like let it propel you, let it drive you no matter what, like no matter what anyone, all the rejections, cause there will be more than you could ever count. <laughs> just remember at your core, you know, your why and yeah, let that carry you through.
2: Yeah. I wanted to add just one last thing, you know, Betsy and I, we always wanted to solve big challenges and big human challenges that we feel like. There's nothing bigger than really changing the way children eat and, you know, become kind of healthier versions of themselves. So we feel like we're, again, just so fortunate.
0: I love that. And just showing, you know, I think it was your story, Betsy, as well, with your son, you know, loving vegetables, which at that age, I certainly did not love. I didn't really like vegetables until I was in middle school, to be honest with you. So one of the things that I think is really important, too, is that You know, there'll always be a lot more no's and yeses, but really focus and optimize on the yeses. I think that it's so important just to focus on the positive and focus on how can actually change, not dwell on too much of the no's.
1: Absolutely. And when you're first going out to try to fundraise, especially when you're starting out, to remember that, yes, it's the VC or the angel's belief in you, like a thousand percent, but it's also your belief in them, right? And what they're projecting out there to the market. You know, is that the type of partner you want to be aligned with? I think when you can find that synergy, I mean, that's when the magic really happens.
0: You know, on a previous guest I had on Sasha Strauss, who's actually a brand strategist, really interesting a brand strategist. I mean, I'm sure all brand strategists are interesting, but what he said that he seems like sometimes like the biggest part when he consults with brands, like the hardest part is the CEOs sometimes are too attached to the brand and they think that everything is personal, that it's a personal attack on them when they're talking to bunnies, talking about, you know, different strategies for the brand or things to change. And I think this also goes to fundraising too, right? Don't take it personally that someone rejected your idea or what you're currently building on.
1: Yep, And get those people in your corner that do have the belief and will continue to rally you. And to the point on, you know, taking brand, critical brand feedback, I would just say, find those customers that are obsessed, right? With what you're building and doing and just take their feedback. If you're not willing to take it from a brand expert, right? Because you just have to build for the customer.
0: Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I really appreciate this. Love what you're doing. Really
1: inspiring so many. Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: And there you have it. It was wonderful chatting with Betsy and Sophia. You can follow Betsy and Sophia on Instagram at Betsy4 and Sophia Laurel. Both links will be located in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this one. If you could please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at Consumer VC. For all episodes, please visit the ConsumerVC.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.